Hello, football fans, and welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. And it is your friends, Joe Talk. Me, Joe Sopergo, and of course, on the other line, I've got Joe Broback. What's up, my friend? Not much. It's been way too long. How are you? Uh, I agree, man. Just ready for football season to officially get underway. I know... uh at least on this side over here, the Ravens just started training camp. I think most teams around the country now have started training camp. So really ready for uh, football season to get going. Agreed. I can't wait. So that's uh, obviously what we're here to do, talk some college football. Uh, we've got a special guest later on in the show. We're going to talk to uh, Chris Vanini of The Athletic, and we're going to get his opinion on the state of the American. But before we bring him on, we're going to go through – uh, me, Joe, and a couple of the other guys over at Underdog Dynasty, we came up with what we call our preseason all-conference team. Uh, I was actually honestly surprised. I thought the conference was going to release one. Uh, I don't know if you saw one, but I didn't see one anywhere. I thought they would release it before media days, but maybe they're going to wait until before the season. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit strange because I thought last year they did it before media days, and that's why we did ours, but... Anyways, I guess we could just go into what we did. Uh, I think some of these are no-brainers. Uh, I think the quarterback, obviously, is a no-brainer. We started with Mackenzie Milton. Um, really, there's really no other argument in my eyes as to, I mean, he was arguably one of the better quarterbacks, not just in the conference, but in the country last year, and it's probably going to be the same thing this year. I think it depends on the coaching staff. I wrote an article about AAC X-Factors and, UCF's is the coaching staff. They have all the talent returning. Everybody kind of knows about that. They don't have to worry about talent at various positions. Obviously, losing players like Mike Hughes and Shaquem Griffin hurts, but they have the talent to do it. And like everybody else, Milton is going to rely on the coaching staff for his success. Obviously, he has his personal talent, but if the system doesn't allow him to be successful, then he might struggle a little bit more i don't see him falling off too much and with players like ben hicks and dr king as like the next couple guys maybe a jonathan banks out of tulane i think he's just obviously right now he's just the pick to be the be the best um but obviously that could change during the season yeah i think in my eyes they're really isn't much of an, I, I can't imagine that the coaching staff is going to change too much of what made him successful last year and I, I think what often gets overlooked in him is that he also contributes into the ground game a little bit. So I think I think overall, I mean, it's a no-brainer that he is the top guy. And then you mentioned some of the other guys behind him. But if we're going to be realistic about which one of these guys is probably most pro-ready, it's definitely Milton. Oh, I agree. Yep, definitely agree. Now, just to dive through it, uh, obviously, usually next on your depth chart is those running backs. The the two that we have in our preseason ballot are Daryl Henderson of Memphis and Adrian Killens of UCF. Uh, Killens didn't really, you know, he talked of, he talked a big game headed into that, that game against Auburn, but he didn't really play that well. But I think we both agree that his speed on the field is something that few players in the conference have. And then Daryl Henderson is coming coming off of a, a terrific year, and then just another guy that's only going to get better behind a pretty solid uh, offensive line they got going on there too. Both of them are super fast, very very fast, and that's what makes them fun to watch. I think I had Xavier Jones from SMU. I think he's the most complete back in the conference. Killens relies on his speed, and he's pretty small. And like you said, he talked a big game. But in the bowl game, he didn't really show up. But the thing is, his speed is what defensive coordinators focus on because they know that if you don't wrap him up, he's going to break one and no one's catching him. Same thing with Henderson. He's a little bit bigger, but he has the speed to break away at any time. So teams know that they got to wrap him up really quick. Otherwise, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, Memphis and SMU are two teams that, I'm going to be really interested once that game comes around. Uh, I know I'm a lot higher on SMU than a lot of the people uh, at our staff here. I, I personally just believe in Ben Hicks, and he, he, we just talked about the running backs there. And 
I don't know. I I just think SM. Some people have SMU as a team barely getting into a bowl game. I think I think for them, the seven eight wins is is totally a possibility. Um, next, they gotta play defense though. Yeah, well, yeah. I know we had this argument, but they didn't I, play I, defense last year, and they bring in Sonny Dykes, who's not known for defense. I don't. I just don't like that combination. I could be surprised, but I don't. I don't like that pairing. Yeah, but like what we talked about this offline. Who in the conference plays? Who plays defense? I mean, remember okay, remember that championship game. Those two. What was it? They're fifty plus piece. So, right. But those teams, you know, if you watched SMU, I mean, you're right. Every every team in the def- uh, that was in the AAC didn't play defense, but SMU was really bad, so bad. Like we're talking ECU bad. Whoa. We're not allowed to. We're not allowed to hate on ECU so early in the show. Well, I'm not. No, I can. And I have. I have You're... plenty. Plenty more in store for them. <laughs> a little bit later in the show. Oh man. Uh, well, actually, I have one good thing to say about it because the top, the top receiver on our list was actually a guy from ECU. That's Tre- uh, Trevin Brown. The other two guys that we have on the list were uh, James Prochy and Justin Hobbs, and then we had uh, this. This was actually, I think. The, one of the harder ones for us to go through because with Cortland Sutton gone, Anthony Miller gone, uh, Trey Quinn gone, those were some obviously NFL talents. Uh, the group that's in the conference this year, yeah, we might see a couple of these guys at the next level, but there's really not the the guy who takes over a game like Sutton or Miller. Yeah, and if you look at Brown and Justin Hobbs were probably the only two that you could say were the top go-to target. I mean, James Froch from SMU was the third option, which now he has a chance to be the first option, but last year he wasn't. But then we had guys like Isaiah Wright from Temple, Tyree McCanns from USF, and Dredrick Snelson from UCF. And, I mean, McCanns had that good game against UCF, but other than that, he most of the season he didn't really do much. So, yeah, I agree. I don't right now. I don't see anybody that's really sticking out, but that could change over you know the next year. So we'll see. But I think this was definitely the hardest group. We I think we had the most varying opinions in this group of any besides maybe like O line, but. Yeah, like you said, there's not really anybody that stands out as someone that were, you know, a unanimous pick to be on the first team. Yeah, which I guess is also a product. So, say, McCancy USF and Snelson at UCF, they were also number twos, two guys who were are now in the NFL. Same thing with kind of what you just said about Prochi. I mean, he was technically a number three behind uh, Quinn and Sutton, and he still put up some pretty solid numbers. Right, and that's why I'll say that back to your previous comment about SMU is I don't doubt that their offense is going to score. Ben Hicks is good, and he's going to have receivers that will get open downfield. But, it, again, it will come back to that defense. But, yeah, there's the offense shouldn't miss a beat. Agreed. Uh, the next, I guess, pass catcher, we can say, will be the tight end. Uh, I think this was pretty unanimous. I don't have uh, the ballot that we put out, but I know that now, me personally, I know I want Mitchell Wilcox of USF. I've heard that a lot of pro scouts are really big on him, so I think for me that that, that was what made it obvious for me. But I also don't think you're going wrong with the other two guys that we mentioned, and that would be a Joey Magnifico, which by far the best name in the conference probably. And then you got Sean Dykes, who also plays for Memphis. So whoever the quarterback is for Memphis, which I guess is going still kind of up in the air, uh, they will have at least two tight ends. You know they're going to throw it to. Oh, I agree. I had I had Sean Dykes, but I I probably would go I'd go Dykes, Magnifico, and then Wilcox. Wilcox is a big dude. Now people probably remember that he had he fumbled on the last possession for USF against UCF, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are pretty mad about that. But that doesn't define who he is. He's very good. He'll probably get. I think with a more accurate passer, which Flowers was okay. He wasn't the best passer. He was okay. But I think if he gets a more accurate passer, he and then McCants, we talked about earlier, probably will have the best years of their careers. 
You can't argue that. We really cannot argue that. Uh, we knew what Flowers was. Flowers was an athletic guy playing the quarterback position. Uh, I think we've heard, but you know, from some of the guys in our group that you know, USF's offense, some argued, wasn't really tailored to Flowers. So this, you would think maybe that with a, a traditional quarterback under center, they'll actually pass the ball a little bit more. I guess we can just quickly go through the offensive line that we have because let's be honest, we're not sitting around watching offensive offensive line all the time. And some of these were easier than others, considering a couple of these guys did come back. Uh, the list includes uh, Trevin Tate of Memphis, Chandler Miller, Tulsa, Tyler Bowling of Tulsa, Wyatt Miller of UCF, and Jordan Johnson of UCF. So I think we can, I think one thing we do know is that heading into this season, Tulsa's offensive line is by far the most experienced with arguably a quarterback that's going to need all of that. Well, we said the thing that was surprising last year was we said that Tulsa was going to have a good old line, which they did because they had bowling Chandler Miller and I can't remember. Uh, was it Evan plague? Yes. And yep. those three were studs. And we're thinking, okay, they just won 10 games the year before. And we're we're thinking, oh, okay, Tulsa's going to win anywhere between 8 and 10 games. They're going to be solid. And then they go 2 and 10, which is just, that was surprising. Probably the biggest surprise in the conference. And now this year, Miller and Bowling are back, which that should mean that the running game will be good. And now that they got the quarterback situation figured out, I don't think they're going to compete for a conference title, but... Hopefully they're winning more than two games. I think I think they should win more than two games. I hope so. I, granted, the, the West is, in my eyes, kind of wide open. I know a lot of people are, are really high on Memphis, but I'm I'm still waiting to see what happens with the turnover being no more Ferguson, no more Miller, because I feel like those two carried those guys for a couple of years. So I'll be interested to see really how the whole West shapes out. But let's switch to the defensive side of the ball because I think it's pretty obvious that the most talent in this conference is probably on that side of the ball, and that is led by unanimous pick, unanimous top five pick. Best player in the conference is not even a question, and that's being Ed Oliver, your your fullback for uh, some team next year, if you're listening to what uh, Major Applewhite is saying about using him on offense and catching passes and things of that nature. But then also, if you want to go through the rest of the guys, uh, Cincinnati has three. We have we put one on our first team, and then we put two others on our, I guess you want to call them honorable mentions, really. But Cincinnati is going to have a pretty impressive front. Yeah, and they I at the beginning of the year, Cincinnati played really well defensively and that I mean they were competing with Michigan for about a half and then obviously things changed with doesn't help when your quarterback throws two pick sixes in the game but you know minor details but like yeah like we discussed they got Broughton they got Muhan and they got Copeland and they're gonna I mean they're gonna be solid up front now they got things to work on on the back end but they could be they could be good. And I'll just say what I said this I think I said this in our Slack. Honestly, putting anybody in the same in the same group as Ed Oliver is almost insulting because that's how good he is. Yeah, you know, you're hundred percent right. I agree with that. Like no no one else on this list, you look at him, you're like, Yep, that's a that's a dude he deserves to be on it. You know, people are like, Oh, we could look at so and so and it doesn't matter who it is besides that Oliver. No one you're looking at them and thinking, Yeah, that that guy deserves for sure. I mean he's without a doubt the best player in the conference. It's not even a question. I, I oh, think yeah. I think I think you, you can argue he's the best player in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean and you can argue that with anyone. Even the av- you know, your your average college football fan, you put on a tape of that guy and you're gonna be like Oh my God! This guy's just a monster on the field. So I, I I am a little bit curious to see what they decide to do with him on the offensive side of the ball because part of me like worries that he's just you know when you play defense no I guess maybe they are kind of going at your knees but not the same as they are on the offensive side of the ball. So I just hope the guy doesn't get hurt because he's definitely a top five talent next year. Well, when the the last year that Jadavian Clowney played at South Carolina, there people were talking about, oh, he's going to play offense, and 
I think Spurrier might have mentioned that he was thinking about playing him on offense because he played offense in high school and he's a freak athlete. But they then when played it came offense in high school, though. Well, right, you're right, but like. What, coaches say that because they just want attention to – I mean, it's part of the Heisman campaign. I mean, if UCF wanted to continue to push this Mackenzie Milton campaign, they can just leave it at his, as is. Or if Hypo wants to just say, oh, he's going to play defense too, which obviously people would freak at that. But most of the time it doesn't mean anything. They're just trying to get people's attention to their school and their player. So I don't – I mean – he had he had a rushing touchdown or Oliver had a rushing touchdown in the bowl game, mm-hmm. but he he looked super awkward running it. I don't know what happened there, but he didn't look natural. So I'm hoping that he just sticks to defense because I've been saying this: it, like if he is using all of his energy to play defense, he's going to continue to dominate and he's going to get his awards that he's due. He has very very little chance to begin with to win the Heisman. So people saying, oh, he could win the Heisman if he plays offense. I, I, I just don't – it's it's not worth it. It's it's a losing battle, you know? I might put a dollar on that, though. One dollar. I mean, a dollar is not bad. No, win ten grand. No, it's not. <laughs> no, you're it's probably going to lose a dollar. I'll, I'll, I'll risk I'll, that I'll one dollar for ten grand. I'll give you if you're right. I'll, 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 I'll take that dollar and the other ten grand that comes along with it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, just let's let's not go to actually. You you mentioned and I I have to say so. You said Milton playing defense would be absurd, but can you only imagine if he like pulled a Scott Frost and started playing safety out of nowhere? Well, yeah, right. It would. That's it's it, would, the same, it would only be perfect because thing. it's UCF. It's it's probably worse because it's a quarterback because no one wants their quarterback to get hurt except for you know apparently teams like Navy don't care, but. Playing Milton at defense, someone saying that would get a lot of attention. It certainly would. That's what it's all about. Now our linebacking core, we so we went four with our with our linebackers because this day and age you see a lot of teams playing three fours. So we went with four, and we do have a fifth guy for it. Our, our but uh, Pat Chizinski was I believe was unanimous throughout all of us. And then Cooper Edmondson, who actually comes back as he's the leading tackler coming back this year from a Tulsa team that, I mean, we we brought him up earlier. Tulsa was not too good last year. But then uh, there was two guys that kind of surprised me when I was doing the research on the linebackers earlier for our uh, position previews. And one of them being was Perry Young from Cincinnati. I didn't realize he racked up all the tackles that he did last year. Well, right, because Jalen Miner was there, and exactly. he yes, was the and lead he took a lot, Yeah, and he, and he took a lot of the attention. And then when I was looking at it, I was like, whoa, this young kid, he racked up a ton of his own tackles. Yeah, he's going to be good. Yeah, and then so just to, to bring up the other two names, one one was Sean Bradley of Temple. Uh, it, it's funny, I know when we wrote the the piece on linebackers last year, we went into that year saying – we didn't know what was what Temple's linebacking core was going to look like. Well, and their defense. Have, well, just yeah, defense general. as a whole. Yeah, I guess you can we, say that too. We we knew Sean Chandler and we knew Delvin Randall would be there, and that was pretty much all we knew. Yep, I, that's a fair argument. That is a fair argument. And then uh, credit to my alma mater up there in North Philadelphia. They just keep pumping out guys that you know they're they're not your your high recruits, and they still end up making it in the NFL. Well, shout out to my my boys up there at Temple University, and then just to make sure that we don't forget it, we have the last one being Curtis Aikens of Memphis, uh, defensive back. I think this was another one we have we have a ton of names written in here. I think that was maybe a little bit harder to pick, but I think we could definitely agree. You brought up Randall. Uh, I think without a doubt he's arguably the best safety in the conference. T.J. Carter's good player but the one guy i think that really kind of sticks out to me is uh and i hope i'm saying his name right uh mozzie wilkins as wilkins yeah who's coming in as a transfer and like and you know i unless you watched a lot of uh i hope i'm doing this right but he, he was from Notre dame right who wilkins he's transferred from Notre dame am mm, i right about that? you know i'm not sure i think i think it was Notre dame i hope i'm right about that so people don't call I'll me look out it up for you i hope people don't call me out for it but it's a guy you know we the rest of the guys we have on our list they're guys that we've actually seen play you and i actually i guess we could say but i'm not gonna act like i um 
watched a whole lot of Notre Dame last year because, well, let's be honest, it's just one of those teams I kind of despise. Why? They were fun, man. Yeah, yeah they're fun if you like... Well, I'm not going to go that route, the choir boys, because they're anything but choir boys. It's just, I don't know, there's something about that program that just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, well, Nick, uh, what's his face? Nick Watkins, the guy from Houston, or the transfer from Houston, he was from Notre Dame. I'm not seeing anything on... Maybe that's what I mixed up. Maybe I have him mixed up. Yeah, he's transferring from Notre Dame, which someone picked him to... I think Eric picked him to be in uh, the first team, so he's listed there as our others. Well, I, I, like hope, I hope he's good. The other guy that me personally I liked was Jordan Wyatt, but we kind of, we put him on our on our second team. That was that was one guy that I know I picked in our four. He scored other... like five defensive touchdowns the last two years. That's I mean that's part of the reason why I like him. I don't yeah, know if he's, he's good a playmaker defensively, but he can get the ball in the end zone. That's for sure. Like sometimes that's all you need, playmakers. That's true. You just need playmakers. I mean, we had this conversation a few months ago, but look at Mike Hughes. Limited in experience, but when he got the, you know, he made plays in the when he got attacked, and then he would somehow manage to, you know, he caused hell for defenses, or excuse me, offenses, I should say. He was, he was, you don't throw at that guy. And, and to be honest, me personally, I thought I was very surprised to see him go in the first round. Y- yes and no. I think besides, there was like one game against, I mean, it was against Anthony Miller, no less, but there's only one game where he struggled, and the Vikings needed a slot corner, and they needed a returner because Marcus Sherrill's is getting older, and they need someone that's going to come in and take his place. So I. I don't know if I was necessarily surprised, but I think it just it was just a good fit, so the Vikings just had to go for it. For those of you that don't know, Joe would definitely be a a guy to talk to about the Vikings, considering he lives and not too far away from the from those boys up there. Uh, they break my heart every year. Last year, stupid Eagles. Fly Eagles, fly. Uh, yeah, not, shut up. Not not to go too far into NFL discussion, but there was a great, great, great quote by Carson Wentz today at his first day of practice. So they asked him, you know, how his rehab's going, and they asked, you know, they're like, you know, did you do any rehab? Or somebody's like, yeah, I did some um, some rehab while I was on my honeymoon, some fitness. That got a lot of laughs. <laughs> that got a lot of laughs. I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good by our quarterback. Oh man, he's a good dude. Oh, I love him. He's he's great for not just the Eagles but the whole league. But again, let's not dive too much into the NFL talk. I know we got a lot of football on our minds this time of year with training camp just opening. Um, so let's just keep going through the the special teamers. I, I think most of you guys picked Matthew Wright from UCF and I was the lone one to take uh Kaden Novikov from Houston and my my reasoning for Novikov was I mean he came back as percentage wise was the best guy so that's why I went that route uh, I don't know I mean Wright obviously scored the most points in the league last year but I think that has a lot more to do with how his offense was operating last year well, and Novikov was a walk-on, and he was supposed to lose to Dalton Witherspoon, who's a JUCO transfer. Which, when I went to the spring game, Witherspoon got all of the all of the reps when they were kicking extra points and field goals until the end. So I thought that was a done deal. But then all of a sudden, Novikov's kicking, and then he didn't give up the job. So I was kind of surprised. I wouldn't be mad if I picked right because I mean he got plenty of experience last year and he was consistent, but. You could flip both of those two, and I wouldn't be upset. Yeah, agreed. I mean, they're they're not Jake Elliott's. So let's just put it that way. Like neither one neither one of the guys that we have listed are is somebody that we're going to see at the next the next level. Elliot Elliot was a special breed when it comes yeah. to kickers. Oh yeah, he was unique. That's for sure. Yeah, and then so for punter we have James Smith of Cincinnati. The other two that we have listed are Dane Roy of Houston and. Mac Loudermilk of UCF, who I know that you're kind of a fan of a little bit. 
Dude, he's funny. He, you seen him celebrate when he has a good punt? Oh yeah, he's great. He's like Pat I wish McAfee. more. I wish I wish more guys would do stuff like that. You know, he's he's actually the best punter because he wears a freaking visor, dude. Who does that? Oh, I I forgot that. He, so he wears a now, visor. You're... It's great for for the four snaps that he gets a game. Hey, you know if what? That, oh, well, we're talking about UCF, so even if that, really. Well, yeah, this year they'll pump more. That's for sure. And then. I mean, do we even have to mention who's the the best special teamer in the conference right now? Because I think, I mean, what's hard about, and to say his name, Tony Pollard, is to figure out what is his real position. Is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? You know, that made it hard for us to put him in either one of those categories when we were doing this. But I think in terms of, like, all-around talented offensive weapon, you can argue he is one of the top five in the conference, if not top three, honestly. Yeah, and now that now that Miller and Phil Mayhew are gone, he's going to get more reps. And he's, I mean, they used him, like you said, they use him in the screen game, whether that's as a slot, as a as an outside receiver, in a you know he does it from running back position. They use him on jet sweeps. He plays like a receiver, runs routes downfield. You know. They can use him in so many ways, and I I think now that he technically is considered the go-to guy, unless someone else emerges, which could happen, he's going to get more touches, and he's not only going to be a weapon as a returner, but also in the offense. He's he's one of the players in this conference that I'm really looking forward to see how they use offensively. I, we know what he is in the return game. Uh, if I remember right, he led the country in, in returning touchdowns last year. Correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, probably. Yep. I do remember that. And um, I guess this is a perfect time to like kind of segue into. So the the American, they released their. And for those of you who don't know, the Americans only been around for five years. It's hard to believe, to be honest. Uh, when I remember them doing, I was like, man, it's only been five years. But yep, it's only been five years. He was. You know, it's a guy who's still in the league, but he was named the. The, the all-conference five-year team or whatever they're calling it, they were calling They were saying that he is the best return specialist. And, I mean, honestly, in the five years, that it's, I, I can't argue it. Uh, I can't think of anybody else who was really as electric to his, as he has been. I think the next guy you might argue is Mike Hughes, but obviously he's not on the level of Pollard. Pollard's by himself, but Hughes is the second-best guy from last year, so he'd probably be the only guy that I could think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's kind of funny, so I, let's just really go through it now. Uh, the five-year anniversary team, the special teamers, Memphis swept it. We talked. We just talked about Pollard. I mentioned Jake Elliott earlier. I think that was a, a no-brainer there. Uh, I'm not going to act like I remember Tom Hornsey from Memphis because 2013, I wasn't really paying attention to Memphis back then. That was uh, 2013, I'm going to argue, was probably the first year of the conference then. We're talking five years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, back back I, when we had Louisville and Rutgers. Yeah. And so it's funny. So there is, I think it's just one Louisville guy on the list, but no Rutgers guys, which shouldn't surprise anybody considering how terrible they've been. But I think now let's, let's, let's go through it. The offensive first. It's, I know before we got on, I, I said this, uh, the quarterback was picked was Keenan Reynolds. Navy. Yes, he smashed all kinds of records. But me personally, I think it should have gone to, and I got two names. It should have either been Quentin Flowers or, and I can't believe I have his last name in my head right now, but I'm blanking on his first name, Ward, from Houston a couple years ago. Greg Ward. Greg, that's what it was. Ah, For some reason I had Ed and I knew that wasn't right. Greg Ward. uh, To me, those those have been the two best quarterbacks to come out of the conference because yeah, okay, Reynolds scored all those touchdowns, but he plays on an offense that's very friendly. And we're talking about Zach Abbey last year. He scored, what, six touchdowns in the bowl game last year? And Abbey is nowhere near the talent that Reynolds ever was. No, so Reynolds me, was definitely special. Yeah, so in my eyes, and I don't know, it's hard for me to put, and I guess I guess the other two really are running quarterbacks but it's you know they they relied on their arms more and in my eyes they're more of a quarterback than keenan reynolds was i mean reynolds finished fifth in the heisman trophy voting so 
That's tough to beat. Yeah, but Greg Ward wasn't too shabby himself. No, he, you're right. He, yeah, it, I mean, if had two years ago when Houston beat Oklahoma, if they didn't finish nine and four, I would probably put, you know, if they finished with 10, 11, maybe 12, probably 12 wins, then I'd probably put, I'd probably make it. There's a good argument to have Greg Ward on that list, other than besides Keenan Reynolds. But I agree. I agree. But, you know, teams got to play well too. Now, running backs, they have recently graduated, I guess we could say, D'Angelo Brewer of Tulsa. I'm beating it right now. I didn't know he was a career rushing leader in the conference. So I guess so I guess that's a pretty good argument for him to take that crown. And then the other one being Marlon Mack from a couple of years ago. Uh, if we want to go on that route, big fan of Marlon Mack if you're looking for a late-round steal in fantasy football this year. Yeah, and he was good with the Bulls, too. He was fun to watch. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And just off the top of my head, to be honest, because they're they're in front of me, but I can't think of any other two running backs that were really worthy of taking taking away from those two. Yeah, I don't think anybody's on that level, at least. Now, the receiver list I thought was a little bit interesting because it's mostly – I guess, I, mean, well, I guess it's still the conference is so young, but it's all guys that literally, I mean, two of the guys literally just got drafted, and they'd be Sutton and Miller, who we talked about not too long ago, and the other one being Zay Jones, who, I mean, he set all kinds of NCAA records. So, really, these three guys, you you can't make an argument that they shouldn't be in there. Right, and, I mean, even look at tight end Jordan Akins from last year, too. Like, there's... It's crazy how good the conference has gotten in five years, and that's evident by the guys, even these four guys here. Zay was one of the – he was a – he's on ECU. So that, you know, the fact that he's on here and he's on ECU, which granted ECU used to have really, really good offenses, but obviously that's changed. But he was he was fun to watch. And then Miller and Sutton were the – Easily the two best receivers in the conference last year. No doubt it. Uh, the only – oh, my God, I just blanked on him. There was – oh, that's what – so for the sake of my people here in the Baltimore area, there was there was one more receiver that really stuck out to me, and that was Mr. Brashad Perriman, formerly of UCF. He was a first-round pick of the Ravens, and I hope his NFL – or excuse me, I hope the NFL careers of the last three guys we mentioned fare out to be a lot better than what we're seeing from Perriman in the NFL because that is brand, without a doubt, a bust. Yeah, that's tough because he was so good. I mean, that's, that happens. Obviously, not everybody can be good in the NFL, but I hope, yeah. Miller should be here. Should be around for a long time. I've, I've been telling a lot of people heading into this year that Miller's going to be the best receiver in this rookie class i mean i've been saying that on this podcast for a while have you seen the videos of him in practice so yeah. far yeah he looks great he's, dro- he's dropping defensive backs easily yeah he looks great uh they're gonna use him as a weapon they really are i'm, oh, yeah. looking, I'm looking forward to see how all that goes but i know you're not as a uh, vikings fans hoping to see him torture your defense maybe he might yeah, hey, maybe he t- he tortures my cues at some point this year oh. that that well that yeah that would be something but that will be a fun matchup with our defensive backs and that yeah that'll be fun now to go through the offensive linemen they they decided to go with three tackles which kind of surprised me um just to kind of break it down there were, both offensive guards went to navy and then Temple also got two guys, one being Deion Dawkins, who played tackle, and one being Kyle Friend, who played center. Uh, Adam West and E.K. Bynes were the guards. But I'm going to be honest with you, the two tackles that they have listed, well, one's from Cincinnati, so they're, I'm not going to act like I paid attention to Eric LaFeld that much. And then the other guy, I really don't recognize the name at all. Kofi Amamicha? I hope I said that right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't recognize a ton of the names either. I mean, but, I mean I, the only one that I'm really familiar with is Deion Dawkins. To, I mean, 
uh, Deion Dawkins for me, obviously, but then your friend was you know, another Tumble guy. Obviously, as a Tumble alum, I, I recognize these names. But again, uh, kind of like I said when we were doing the for our our picks, it's not like we are watching offensive linemen. Offensive line is it's hard because it's more one of those things. If your name is being brought up, it's because you're doing something wrong. Right. Yep. So if your name's not being brought up, I guess that's a good thing. Now to turn it on to the other side of the ball once again. Pretty obvious Ed Oliver's on this list. Honestly, we can make a case that Ed Oliver, without a doubt, best defensive lineman that's come out of this conference. And I'm going to go Hassan Reddick as a close second. Oh, not close. Please. Yeah, I'm saying close. No. I mean, Hassan Reddick was good, but Ed Oliver's on a whole nother level. Nah, I'm just being a homer right here. Come on now. Yeah. He was good. I mean, I interviewed him. He was, he's a nice guy. Oh, he's, he's awesome. I love him. He, was, I love he was fun to watch. But I... I mean, here's my argument. Reddick always was playing on decent defenses, especially towards the end of his career. Oliver was pretty much doing most of the stuff by himself last year, which True. injuries and inconsistencies and young players played a factor into that. But I, he, yeah, I just there's no doubt in my mind that Oliver's first, and no one's even close to his level. I think you're being a Houston homer now. Well, you know, no, I'll, mess, I'll mess with you. No, he's yeah. he is phenomenal talent. He really is a phenomenal talent. Um, the other names in the defensive line was Matt Iannotis, who also went to Temple. He plays for the Redskins now. Uh, Justin Lawler, who's just leaving. He's another one of those guys that's just leaving. And then there's another name on here that, for me, really bothers me, and that would be Marcus Smith of Louisville. For those of you who don't know, that was he. He was a first-round pick of the Eagles and basically never even touched the field. So that's all I'm going to say about him. <laughs> You're not bitter, uh, are you? No, no, not whatsoever. One of those one of those Chip Kelly picks that never made any sense. Thank God we got Doug Peterson. I'm just glad Chip Kelly's back in college. I mean, Chip Kelly's definitely good for college, but in the NFL, it was not going to work. No. But... Let's kind of speed this along a little bit because we do have somebody joining us. Uh, at linebacker, um, for me, the number one guy was definitely Tyler Mandikavich. Uh, and now, again, this is not me. Be, this is this time not being a Temple homer. Yeah, he was. I, I would agree. He was. He was I mean, he was he, phenomenal. And he was. He was consistent. It wasn't like he was. I mean, all these guys were consistent, but he just every year it was. He was one of the, he was one of the best in the conference, and I mean he had 300 tackle seasons, which that's that's insane. It's that's, rare in college football. That's yeah. rare in college football. And he, he you could like you always knew where he was because he was always making plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other three are no scrubs either. Yeah, but so like well, all right, so I'll name Jannard Avery, Shaquem Griffin, and Augie Sanchez. But what bo- so what kind of a little bit bothered me about this is. They're all, they all just left two. So when this voting went into it, I'm not sure if they like just forgot maybe guys in the past. And I'm not trying to act like I can think of any guys in the past. Well, if you think about it, it's, it was the fans Griffin, were included. Gonna, yeah, Griffin, I'm not going to argue. Like, that yeah, guy. but I mean, the fans are going to – just in general, I think people have a natural tendency to think the more recent players are better just because that's what's in their memory and they have to think like you watched Avery, you watched Griffin and you watched Sanchez last year. Mm-hmm. You, if you had a guy who played in 2013, you're probably not going to remember much, especially if he was, you know, if he was good, but not great. I mean, you'll remember players like Ed Oliver forever or Shaquem Griffin because they're special. But if you have a guy that played in 2013, 2014, who was, a great player, but not like super special. You're probably not going to remember him. And you're probably going to remember a guy who like Augie Sanchez, who was, he was a great player, but he didn't like people weren't talking about him. He wasn't super special or he wasn't, didn't do really anything to stand out other than just make a ton of tackles, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree with you there. And let's just quickly go through the defensive backfield because we got a phone call coming in any second. 
Um, Mike Hughes, we just mentioned, obviously one of the corners listed. Uh, Perry Nickerson's also on the list, and don't get me wrong, I'm big on him, but I think that's also another one of those cases where you know, it's more of a recent guy, so he was kind of in people's memory. The other one being Jacoby Glenn of UCF. Right? He was a defensive player of the year, so you know, it makes all the seconds, all the sense in the world for him to to be one of those guys there. So I, I can't argue that. And he is he's still in the in the league too. Yeah. Okay. I, I think Nickerson's underrated, so I would argue against that. But yeah, there could be a lot of cases where you're picking guys who are more recent. I mean Mike Hughes, you just got one year of experience. Now it was a good year of experience, but mm-hmm. you'd have to wonder is that people are just remembering, oh, he had one good year and it was this last year, so why not? But I don't know. And then for the two safeties, one of them being Clayton Gathers of UCF, and that was from, I, I guess, no, it was a two-time all-conference selection. All right, I'm reading it right now. So, and I'm not, I honestly don't remember the player, so I'm not going to say too much about him. But I do remember the other guy, Obi, and I've never said his Melifonwu. name. Right. Well, you did it. There you go. Now, he was, he was one guy when he came out into the draft that I was big on. I do remember that. And that was really before I really started diving into AAC coverage that I'm doing right now. So. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I did his draft profile last year, and he was, you know, UConn, UConn really missed him this year, that's for sure. When you give up 333 yards through the air per game, something's missing and obviously he was it but i don't know i don't really hear much from him in the first year with oakland but hopefully year two is a little bit better yeah he, he's definitely a name that um i'll be paying attention to heading into this year because i think think he might be lining up as a starter this year i'm not going to try to act like i know a whole lot about the raiders but i think if i remember right he's trying to do so i guess we'll find out All right, so we are pleased to bring on a Chris Manini of The Athletic who is primarily covers college football, and he does a lot with the uh, American Athletic Conference as well. So, But before we really, really dive into into the football talk, I couldn't help but notice during the World Cup that you had some, some great, great tweets. Um, are you an actual soccer fan, or is it just one of those things where, like a lot of people, it's just really nothing going on that time of the year, so you were watching soccer? Well, Joe, I'm glad to hear that you said they were good tweets because, man, I lost a lot of followers over the month of the World Cup making nothing but – not nothing but but mostly puns. Some of them I thought were very good. Some of them I know were not. But I saw my Twitter account falling throughout the month, but I had to power through it. I had some coworkers admit that they muted me on Twitter. Uh, but it was worth it. But, yes, no, I am a soccer fan. I can't say I'm a deep soccer fan and could explain everything to you, but I've been a Manchester City fan since right, after, right around 2010, kind of as that was heading into that World Cup, and then that World Cup really, uh, I think, sparked my interest in soccer. I went through a process of picking a team, and I ended up on Manchester City before they had won anything, and now I know everybody hates them, understandably so, but uh, yeah, I'd say I'm a pretty big soccer fan. I like to hear it. Uh, I think you and I can also agree, it's pretty depressing that the USA wasn't in there. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was curious how this would go, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, everybody follows the US, so you kind of had to pick a second team. And I was going to pick Italy because that's what I usually do. But Italy's not in it either. So mm-hmm. I go down my family history. I end up, I've got a great-grandmother from England. So I went with England. I was like, well, crap, England, they're going to they're gonna be England. And then England was a lot of fun and did really well and ended up having a blast at the World Cup. The games were great. And uh, it was a, I thought it was a really, really enjoyable World Cup. And by the end, I had not even really remembered that the U.S. hadn't been in it because it was just so much fun. Yeah, I, I I can't argue everything you just said there. I honestly was one of those people that thought going into it, I wasn't too sure how I was going to feel because USA and Italy wasn't in it, but it, it turned out pretty well. But let's 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 talk about what we really brought you on, and that is we're going to talk about the American. I guess we could just kind of really start it off with basically an overview of what you thought about the media days that just finished. Well, 
you know, I thought it was a you know typical solid event. I don't think there's any major controversies or, or, or questions coming out of the media day. I think the biggest thing that Mike Oresco wanted to get across was continuing to fight for respect and continuing to push the whole power six thing, which admittedly draws a lot of eye rolls from other people. But it is true that the American, I think, has separated itself from the rest of the group of five. I don't think it's it's not at the level of the power five yet, but it is kind of its own middle tier there. And I think coaches and teams and players and media all kind of understand that. So, you know, Mike's fighting for respect. And the only way you get that is have teams that win. And he had a lot of teams from last year to to brag about and and that's you know it's what he did and now we headed to a season with a lot of questions i think across the league and we'll see what happens i i think that's honestly a perfect segue you just said there um my next question is really gonna be i think it's really a unanimous decision that mackenzie milton is the best quarterback in the conference and i was reading the article that you recently just put up too so in your eyes who's the guy after him because it's really it's really up in the air yeah, man, this is tough. This is this is the piece that I ended up writing coming out of media day was what's you know what's the quarterback situation for the top six seven teams in the league because last year Milton, Quentin Flowers, and Riley Ferguson all finished in the top ten in the country in total offense, and this is it's a league that quarterback play is going to win you the day. And right now, I think there's only one team that can feel fully among that top seven or so only one team that can feel 100% confident in what they have, and that's UCF with Milton. Memphis has a battle between two guys going on, don't know which way it's going to go. USF has a battle with three guys, you don't know which way it's going to go. And then the other teams right below, they've got a guy, but is he going to be able to be the guy now that he's taken over full-time? Malcolm Perry at Navy, uh, Frank Nuttile at Temple, um, Derek King at Houston are guys that came on late in the year, had big years for their teams, and bring in to 2018 with a lot of excitement and hype. But now that it's all on them, can they handle that? So if I had to pick a number two guy, I might go with I might go with a Jonathan Banks at Tulane, a guy who threw for almost 600 yards in his final two games. Tulane's got nine offensive starters back and you know coming in a triple option offense it's not typically what you'd expect in terms of being a you don't pick a triple option quarterback to be the top quarterback in the league usually but or the number two guy but i, I might go with banks right now they're really high on him i i, I think a lot of teams uh, are worried about what he's going to be able to do in that offense so I, I i'll go with jonathan banks because we've seen more of him but you know it's 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 wide open well, I was going to ask about Tulane a little bit later, but I guess I could do it now. Uh, a lot of people have them as a team to kind of be afraid of. Uh, what is your opinion on that team headed into this season? That That's the exact thing I heard from multiple coaches at Media Day, and that it's a team that's not getting a lot of attention, but it's a team that every coach is worried about. One, because of that triple option offense. It's always hard to prepare for you kind of have to take time out of your camp to specifically prepare for that. And two, because again, nine offensive starters back. They have to replace quite a bit on defense, but that system, the offensive system for Willie Fritz is now fully in place. He's got the right players for it. He's got the perfect quarterback for it. I think Tulane was picked, were they picked fifth? If I remember correctly, yeah. SMU? Mm-hmm. I think they were right, but I think they were behind SMU, which surprised me because I would. I would take Tulane over SMU right now just because SMU has a lot of questions. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a team that is very much being overlooked and, and and has improved each year under Willie Fritz, and I expect them to do that again. And, and uh, there's a couple non-conference games where it could really tilt things one way or another, but I think this is the year they're expecting at least a bowl game. Yeah, you can't argue that. Uh, I, think, I think you brought up Banks, but I think a – if I recall, it's Brantley's still there, so I think even if they go, you know, if he goes down, I think they have a solid backup in there. Um, just to kind of turn it over it's on the other side of the ball a little bit, I've, Ed Oliver is not just probably the best player in this conference, but arguably one of the best players in the country. Uh, but it's interesting how Major Applewhite hinted that 
we might be seeing him on offense. And now we've heard this in the past when Jadavian Clowney even years past from Steve Spurrier, and then he never saw the offensive side of the ball. Do you really see him actually getting snaps on offense? Because I know he scored that touchdown in the bowl game, but in my eyes that was just like, well, it's a bowl game. Let's have some fun with it. Right. I, I think it depends because Major knows that he has to – do better than he did last year and the Houston offense already has so many question marks with none of their running backs or receivers returning so I I don't think you put Oliver on offense in an important situation I think if there's a blowout game or two maybe like Texas Southern in week four that's when you throw him in and I but I do think there's something to it that that would help Heisman hopes because you got to just stay in people's minds and especially for a defensive lineman it, it, it would be hard for people to think about you every week and if if you do something like that like catch a touchdown pass in a blowout game you're going to see that highlight a lot and people are going to remember him so I understand that I, but I don't think I don't think he's going to be any serious part of the game plan because there's too much they they need receivers and running backs to be able to run and catch the ball right now. I don't think they need to be worrying too much about a defensive lineman doing it. Mm-hmm. And then just to, I guess, this my next question is going to be about the coaching staff. So I, I know if people who regularly listen to the show know that I've been a little bit hard on ECU. But is it safe to say that Montgomery has got the, the hottest seat in the conference? Yeah, I mean – I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, especially now that, you know, a new athletic director and everything that's going on there. And that's a, it's a very proud fan base. And and they're not happy with what's going on, understandably. And they've got a, a, a non-conference schedule that includes North Carolina uh, and Virginia Tech on there. So it's going to be another tough season, probably. They don't return much of anybody on either side of the ball. Uh, it's going to be it, – yeah, he's got the – He's got the hottest seat in the conference, and it's, I mean, it, 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 he would have to show some market improvement, I think, for to be back in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then just two more for you. So I think everybody agrees, based off of what happened last year heading into this year, it's most people are picking UCF to kind of run away with this conference. Um, and on the other side, it seems to be Memphis, more of a uh, popular pick. Uh, but on that east side, is there really anybody who can give UCF a challenge to keep them out of that conference championship game? I think, it, uh, I, you know, USF defense was was noticeably improved next year, and this is the first time in, like, forever that they have the same offensive coordinator back. The problem is they also need a new running back, and Quentin Flowers obviously did so much. So there are questions there. But I, I think there are pieces that this could be a good UCF USF team, um, in large part due to the familiarity with the coaching staff because they've had so many changes in coordinators over the past five six years. There, so I think that will help. I I can't say I would expect them to you know beat UCF right now. I think Temple is a very interesting program because Frankie Juice, as Jeff Collins likes to call him, really injected a shot of adrenaline in that program at the end of last season. And that was a completely different team by the end of the year. And again, with a new staff, um, second year, you're more familiar with everything. I think Temple could, could surprise some folks. Um, I can't say I'm going to pick them over UCF. Okay. So those are what I think about the other teams could do behind UCF, but UCF itself is going to be very, very weird because Yes, they still bring a lot back. They have to replace quite a bit on defense, I think. But offensively, so Josh Heupel's offense at, at uh, Missouri last year, so they go 7-6. and six. But that offense scores over 50 points a game against seven teams that didn't make a bowl game or were not even Division One a Seven wins, seven non-bowl teams. They go 0-6 against bowl teams scoring only about 18 points per game. So this is this is a team that was beating up on lower competition. That may, brings me a lot of pause when I evaluate how Josh Heupel has done as an offensive coordinator at Missouri. However, he does have the most talented team in the Americans, so he will be playing against, going up against lesser talented teams than, than UCF. So 
I think you gotta you gotta go with UCF. I understand why they're the runaway favorite, especially since they know what they're doing at quarterback. But man, I, I, I there is uh, there is part of me that wonders if this whole thing could just kind of fall apart in a weird way. I'm that, probably not, but I'm not totally sold that you know this is a team that's going to contend for the playoff again. Well, actually, my next question was going to be about Temples, since I am an alumni there, but you kind of <laughs> answered that already. But you kind of just brought up something there that I, with the whole the whole playoff thing. You know, Say UCF does it again this year, it makes it two years in a row that they go undefeated. Can they really be kept out of that playoff once more, one more time? I mean, obviously the context has to be who else is there, but – if UCF does it again, I think they will legitimately be right in the mix. They were not legitimately in the mix last year. And I think a, a combination of factors for that. For one, for a group of five team to make it, it's gotta be a two year it's gotta be a two year thing because no one's gonna trust you after one year. Look a couple years ago, Houston gets up to like number five in the country. I know they beat Oklahoma to do that, but that was a team that had they won out after Oklahoma they very well and probably could have been in the playoff. So you got to do it two years in a row to really get the respect of people. And if UCF does it again, that's two years in a row. I think they'll have the respect. Uh, and you'll have a lot more people clamoring for them publicly. The other thing is, I, I think another reason people will be clamoring for the public is because UCF kept this on people's minds all of spring and Paul Feinbaum helped and into the summer with the claims of a national championship, whether or not you think it's real or not, the campaign was a complete success because we were talking about UCF in May, in June for, for, for no reason other than what they did last year. That's, that's really something you don't see. So everybody has thought about this. Everybody has had UCF on, on their mind for a long time in the off season. And if they come out guns blazing and start to get in that, spot you're not going to have as many people talking bad about them because they prevailed that they 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 earned that right with what they did last year and in 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 that in that peach bowl so if ucf is undefeated again at the end of the season i think there's a very strong chance that they that they do make the playoffs i know a lot of people in the group of five think it's impossible but again i think it's got to be a two-year deal a two-year run which is very 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 hard to do and it's got to have momentum behind it, and UCF has created momentum behind it. So, so I, I think there's a chance. I do. I do. Do you? I, I'm personally one of those people that does agree with that, yeah. But for the same reason that you say it, more because if you're doing it for two years, how can you keep a team out that's won 24 games in a row? That's that's my argument. And I don't care what your competition is, really. You said it a little bit earlier. We're talking about you know, an American conference that, yeah, maybe it's not – it's not a power five, but it's definitely separated itself from the rest. So I, I, I agree with that. I yeah, totally do yeah, agree and with that. I, th- there was a line. Aresco dropped a, a a group of four comment in his in his uh, press conference the other day, and I kind of I thought that was interesting. And I think the, the I know I know people in the Mountain West are not uh, are not happy with this power six. Uh, campaign but i i do think there is there is uh truth to that as i said i mean not politics but that they are a little bit of a, a step above the others yeah mm, i agree with you there uh, i don't want to take up too much of your time chris so just i guess let everybody know where they find you what what's going on with the athletic as of late because you guys are really blowing up lately yeah you know we we've we've added like almost 20 new writers i think mostly mostly covering teams they're all power five teams uh but i'm still exclusively covering the group of five um i take a lot of pride in that we're we're one year into this run and we got great feedback from all the group of five fans especially in the american uh last year for for the coverage we did and i'm hoping to to improve upon that even more this year um you can go to theathletic.com is is where all of our stuff is we've got sales going on all the time you can get a, a discount subscription for three bucks a month, if you go to theathletic.com slash CFB expansion, it's a it's another promo we've got going on as part of the uh, expansion we've done with a bunch of new writers. But Group of Five uh, absolutely absolutely remains a priority and a focus for the athletic, and um, that will continue the season. And I'm happy to do it. Chris, 
not only appreciate you joining us, but appreciate you covering the group of five. Uh, thanks once again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Chris Vanini of The Athletic for joining us to talk a little bit about The American. If you're not following him already on Twitter, he is definitely a good follow when it comes to not only The American, but the rest of the uh, non-power conferences. Uh, you also probably noticed that Joe wasn't there with me. We had some technical difficulties that didn't allow him to participate there, and I'm sure he is not too happy about it, but that's technology for you. Sometimes these things happen. But speaking of technology, make sure you are following the Underdog Dynasty, whether it is on Facebook or Twitter. Leave us some reviews on iTunes or however else you listen to the podcast. And on the behalf of the rest of the staff and Joe Brobeck, thanks for listening to the Underdog Dynasty. And August is right around the corner, guys. Football season's almost here.